Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another great day for an interview. I've got Stacey Johnston with me. Stacey Johnston is a remarkable woman who is best described as a light seeker. She is a dance choreographer, uh, has been living with music and an expressive dance for the better part of her life and is now using those skills that she gleaned from this beautiful artistic background to help others to seek the light and more importantly to find the light and to find the light that they want to shine. So now it's brilliant. I'm so pleased to have Stacy on my show. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for sharing this day with me. It's beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's fantastic because I've got, I've got a deep, deep passion for dance and for music. And music is, is such a beautiful, beautiful thing that can alter your sensations, your perceptions, your state in such yeah. a powerful way. Was that something that always attracted you? Or how did you get into dance? How did you get into it? My mother was a dance teacher. So I grew up oh, in the yeah. dance studio, right? I just grew up in that world. And I joined an organization called Dance Masters of America when I was seven. I became a junior member. And I spent my whole life <laughs> in Dance Masters. And we just supported the world of the arts and, and the art of dance. Um, I, I traveled the country. We traveled some parts of the world, competition my whole life. I grew up and started teaching for my mom at 15. Um, at 18, I joined a call. I went to college to a place called National um, Oklahoma City University. And I became a member of the American Spirit Dancers there and danced professionally with them for about four or five years. And then a grand overall designer had a different plan for me. So got married and moved to a little town in West Texas and opened a studio and taught for 35 years after that. <laughs> and, uh, I had a wonderful time. Yeah. Exactly. Well, when you were 15, that was a few months ago. So what was the kind of style of dancing that you most enjoyed at that time? You know, I think what I really enjoyed about it the most was watching the faces on the little girls when they would get it. Right. right. When you walk across the floor with your hands on, put your chin up and now tell me I'm a beautiful woman. And those little babies would tiptoe with this sparkle and then they would get it. And they, that joy, that, that unadulterated joy that they got from that expression just made it even more precious to me. So teaching was a natural occurrence for me. And I just fell into it and I loved coaching. And that was the classic sort of ballet style. The, yeah. Yes. Ballet, so, tap. I'm a tapper at heart. I nice. learned tap dance when I was about six. And so tap is my love. I understand ballet is the basics, but tap is my love. And, and that's really where my concept for my teaching and my coaching comes from is that rhythm that is involved oh, underneath. Gregory Hines, uh, Barishnikov together oh, in White Nights, that beautiful improvisation movie. scene. Bloody yeah. hell. I mean, how much more can you oh. loosen your, your, your power, yeah. your... Oh. Wow. Yeah, yeah right. goosebumps not thinking oh, about it. Who needs, the NF, who needs the NFL, right? That right there is, <laughs> that, that is athletic yeah. ability and that is grace and that is power. And it is, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Sandman Sims, Gregory Hines. Yeah. 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 Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So how did it continue then? I mean, dance and, and passion and, and expression expression in dance has changed over the years. Uh, how did it change in Little Town, Texas? 
Um, uh, are well, you, still- you know, <laughs> I moved to Little Town, New Mexico from Little oh, Mexico. Town, Texas. <laughs> yes, I moved to New Mexico um, in about the middle of my teaching career. And one day we got an invitation to the Down Under Bowl World Games in Australia, Gold Coast, Australia. And I was, I thought, well, won't that be fun, right? So I took it to dress rehearsal and I, I laid out the plan and the response was, oh, Miss Stacy, we're from Berlin, New Mexico. We, don't, we can't go to Australia. And I said, well, you know, that means we're going, right? Just because you think we can't. Oh, yes, we can. So we sat on a quest. We opened a nonprofit organization called Berlin USA Down Under. And uh, we went to work. And I did no helmet drives, no bake sales. I made them work. They painted parking lots and cleaned up trash and served food. And they, they had to work for their money. And then 10% of everything they raised had to go to charity because it's never just about you. It, it, there's always someone that can benefit from what you do. So we raised money for other organizations. Took them two years, but they raised $70,000. Wow. We took 30 kids to Australia and we got to the competition and it was my 30 little ballerinas and tap dancers and 364 cheerleaders. <laughs> we didn't have a pom-pom among us, right? And we were like, really? Nobody said anything about cheerleaders. And my old kids looked at me and they're like, Miss Stacy, we did not come all the way to Australia to lose to some cheerleaders. I said, you're <laughs> right. We came to win. And that's what we're going to do. And, and with our grand design, they did such a beautiful job. We brought the goal home for the United States. Woo. We took three of the top five. We took five of the top 10. We rocked Australia. It was beautiful. <laughs> and uh, uh, We had such a wonderful time. And, and I retired about five years later uh, from that job because yeah. uh, my, my oldest daughter was addicted to meth. And I needed, if I was going to live that world, I needed to understand it. And the only way I could understand it was to be a part of it. And so I, I closed the doors to my studio and I just started dancing on a different stage, right? I just, life has a rhythm and, and your life has a rhythm and my life has a rhythm. And my job is not to get you to hear my song, but my job is to get you to hear your song and, and sing it all the way through. And uh, my daughter lost her song, right? I had to, we, had, we had to find her song. So I retired. And I went to work for the state of New Mexico and we opened a branch of the Mothers Against Methamphetamine and opened a nonprofit called TOS, Tears of Strength and Support, so we could train families on addiction and recovery so they could understand it because it's a family problem. It's not an individual issue. And uh, they say one addicted person affects 27 other lives on average. So that's a big ripple. So how do you make the ripple? Well, one thing I knew is that once we got her clean and sober and brought her home. She was the only thing that was going to be different. And so we had to learn how to see it differently so we could help her see the world differently. She needed a new lens to look through and we were part of the old lens. Very nice. Was that clear in your mind when you started that journey? Did you have an, that's what I thought. Absolutely not. I rode the river of denial for a couple of years. She took her first hit of meth at 15 in the bathroom, right? And so we chalked up that all of that behavior to teenage behavior, right? Mm. Rebellion, adolescence, peer pressure, everything on the planet except her doing drugs. She'd never been raised to do drugs. She'd never been exposed to that. Never crossed my mind. That's what we were doing until the day of her 18th birthday. And she made a she made a statement that day made it made a pretty bold statement and she left our house that day for the first time and my she left and i looked at my husband and i said you know we have a problem we have a problem what was what was the bold statement um she said i can't 
continue to live here and be me. I have to go somewhere else to be who I'm supposed to be. And then she just left and she just left. And it was the day where she took her birthday dinner, dumped it in the trash, walked out the door with her other Matthews and friends that were with her that day. And uh, we didn't see her for a long time. I took her to rehab three years and 22 days later from that day, brought her home the day before her 21st birthday. And she's been by the grace of our grand overall design clean and sober 14 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now that's a, that's a story to listen to because there's so many young people out there who are losing that battle. And yeah. especially right now in these uncertain terms, yeah. terms and times, uh, the, the challenges are so big, the stakes are getting higher and people more and more rely on drugs. We've got from so many areas around the United States, but also around Europe, we've got figures coming out where, yeah. where the overdose deaths are doubling, tripling, where these kind Here's of things, well. yeah. And that is so, so scary. And so to hear your success story is so beautiful, so important, because that is what, what rehabilitation is all about and what addiction is all about. Addiction is a chronic disease that affects people. And it is just as much as you have got diabetes, just as much as you've got right. asthma. Uh, addiction is the same thing. It changes the biochemistry of your brain. And, but by being the disease, it also means there are treatment options. And yeah, that is sometimes are. which people can't, can't fathom. The sheer shock, the sheer slap in the face. Oh my God, my daughter is on meth. Oh my God. Right. I mean, that, that puts you, as you said, shock denial. Oh, absolutely. Um, but you can't get better until you go through the shock, till you go through the denial and get to the truth. Mm. And until you get to the truth and own the truth, it doesn't get better. Mm. Right. And so it, what a lot of things that we recognize is it wasn't my job to get her clean because it, it wasn't my choice to take that first hit of meth that was hers. And so this was a path that she had to walk, but it's an impossible path to walk on your own. Absolutely. I, and so the best that we could do was come alongside her and walk with her where she was until she found that way to that light for her. And once she found the light, wow. it, it's been an amazing transformation, but it was hard. It was hard for all of us. Did she stay, when she walked out, did she stay in touch? Um, yes. She had a cell phone that back then and, and they were, it was brand new. I mean, cell phones 15 years ago were still kind of a new thing, but she wouldn't talk to me and she wouldn't come home, but she would text me. Oh, beautiful. And, and I could tell by the words that she used, whether, what kind of day she was having. Yeah. Right. And if it was a good day or a bad day, I could just tell by the words that were coming out of her mouth where we were. So I just would try over and over to just talk her out of that hole and let her know, you know, we love you and oh, we, we have boundaries. And there, there, there are things that you're going to, you can come home, but you have to come home our way. You can't come home your way because I have two other children to raise and I can't condone that behavior in my household. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'll never stop loving you and I'll never not be here for you when you're ready. But you have to be ready. Where did she get the money from? Everywhere. Everywhere. She worked with some, some guys, they peddled dope, they, they stole, they hawked, they everywhere. 
right? It, it, you know, from being out there and on the streets, they never don't have money. They never don't have a place to take a bath and they don't never don't have a place to sleep. They just need you to believe that those things are true sometimes so that you'll buy into that addiction for them. One of the things we learned is how addicted we were to her addiction. <laughs> priceless, priceless. If I didn't spend my day managing her addiction and helping her walk through, what would I have done with my time? Right? How would I focus? And so I had to find my own path of recovery and own my own addiction to her addiction, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the reason I'm laughing so much is, is uh, that uh, when I was work, uh, waiting this morning, the book that I'm contemplating is Stop Being Addicted to the Addict. Uh, and that is exactly the, the role of, of parents, of loved ones, their journey. But yeah. how I often, through codependency, actually, to a certain degree, foster addiction, to a certain degree. Um, yeah. yeah, we don't know what to do. It is for me, as a, as a dad, this would be the most horrifying thing I could possibly imagine. Oh, it that, was devastating. Absolutely. And there, there is this journey waiting that you didn't ask for. And most people, when they're sort of, you know, when are you a dad? We have 45, maybe around about that time, when your, your kids hit teenager uh, time. Well, that's a time when you are just growing, when you're finally in your job, when you make your, your, your statements, when you're out there earning money, being busy, or right. whatever the role is that you have got into your life. Right. That is, you're busy with that role. And as you were, you were running that, that dance studio, and then right. suddenly, kaboom, right. as if a bomb has exploded, because your life will exactly never be the same again right. uh, after that one realization. Shit, my daughter is using. Yeah, we have a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, through, I learned, we learned so many things. I learned so many things as a person through the course of her addiction and recovery that I probably never would have learned had I not walked that journey with her, sure. right? Uh, because I was, I always thought of myself as a Christian, right? I had a good solid faith. I taught Sunday school. I did all the right things that you were supposed to do. I walked the path. And then I was angry at that grand overall designer. I'm like, seriously? I didn't, really? I could have watched this on a Lifetime movie. I'd have cried and everything. I Instead, we're walking and I don't get it. And it took me pulling my car over one day and straight up getting mad at him to, for me to recognize he already knew I was mad. It wasn't a surprise to him how I felt. He was just waiting for me to say, are you ready to fix it? And so I, I asked him, I said, I got to understand. Because one thing I understand is that there's this giant circle, this perfect circle covered up with the pieces of our cross. And I need to see the circle. I need to understand what's under underneath. And so I began to, and that's when dancing and this, this, and it all began to come into this story because when we were, when my mother was teaching us to dance and I was a little girl, we were tapping and she would turn off the music and she would say, stop, stop. You can't dance to the music because the music changes, but underneath the music, there's this little guy that's going boom, 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 boom on the drum. And he keeps everybody else in rhythm. That's who you have to dance to because he never changes. He's your rhythm underneath the music. And so I began to see that circle and say, all right, so this circle 
it's underneath the music. And I'm out here lost in all the music. I need the little guy. Take me to the little guy so I can find some ground. And then I began to ask him, show me the circle. And so when my daughter was in the eighth grade, okay, I was chaperoning a dance at the middle school. Bunch of little teenagers dancing everywhere. And in the corner was this amazing group of break dancers. And they were spinning on their head and flipping and doing all this crazy stuff. And as a dance teacher, I was immediately attracted to what they were doing, right? I was all over what they were doing. And as I talked to them through the evening, I recognized most of them were older than junior high, had just skirted their way into the dance because it was a place to dance. The town was afraid of them. They had baggy pants and sideways hats and the community was afraid of them. And they, they threw them off the street. They threw them out of the park, off the sidewalks. So they didn't have anywhere to dance. Well, I had a dance studio. And I said, tell you what, by the end of the night, we had this deal. I said, I'll tell you what, if you watch my space, you watch my back, I'll give you a key to my studio and I'll give you a place to dance. But if this is a mutual respect thing, so don't make me sorry. And so I let these kids into my studio and they were for a couple of years, they danced in my studio and they had break dance battles and they had a place to gather. And I took them with me to different places to talk to schools and teachers about if you... Don't judge me unless you really want to know my story. Don't just assume. Right. But so I took these kids with me to dance and they were my SWAT team students with a testimony. And we had little t-shirts and we had a grand time and they called me coach. So after, after a couple of years, it began to wind down and most of them dropped out of high school. And there's a very large gang in our area called HFL, High for Life. Been around a very, very long time, been seated there a very long time. And a good majority of these kids became HFL members in time. So now fast forward to the throes of my baby's addiction. And she had been taken from a convenience store by some rather unsavory people one afternoon. And we couldn't find her. Uh, couldn't talk to her, couldn't get hold of her, couldn't find her. Diligently had, had a grid dr- dr- drawn out that my husband and his coworkers drove every morning just looking for her because we were going to find her. And one day I got a text message and it just, like years later and it said, Hey coach, just need you to know we've got your baby girl. I can't bring her home, but I'll keep her alive. So there was a circle. Had I not let them in my building that day, what are the chances that of all the people she could have become the property of for a minute? It was my boys. So that circle is underneath and it comes round and it depends on what you lay out in the circle, what comes back to you. Wow. Wow. So there's this beautiful circle that we all need to recognize because nothing in your life is by accident. Coincidence happens on purpose. <laughs> you know, you're coming up with so many sound parts <laughs> that I just want to write down right now. <laughs> because they mean so much. They trigger so much in me. They, they, I recognize myself constantly. I recognize stories that I have been involved in. And karma, as I call it, uh, I, I, yes, there is something there that we should never underestimate. But what you have told me already with the Thai thing, with the, uh, sorry, Thai thing for those of you who are not religious means giving part of your uh, uh, earned money to church or to charity. Um, uh, So the 10% that you were saying when you were raising the money, these are all little features of someone who is actually internally 
a good person who has recognized that you're playing a role in society, that you're open to giving. And it is amazing when you start giving what actually comes back. And it never, exactly. it never comes back there and then. You can't just give money to someone in need and then look around and say, come on now, there you go. Where is right. it? Where's my feedback? No, come on, go. That's, that's it exactly doesn't, right. doesn't work like that. But when you least expect it, isn't it? When you least expect when it. When you least expect it, it comes back around. And so my gratitude just for being able to recognize the circle. Mm. And so in my coaching and when I work with people, that's one of the things that we work on is help them recognize the circle that they're walking. Mm. What, what's coming back around, right? Mm. And recognize that. And it depends on what you put out there, what comes back around. And so... You know, especially now when we look at the world around us, it's so easy to put negativity out there mm. and to put darkness out there. But isn't there enough of that? Mm. Oh, please, 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 please. Yeah. And that is that is what we two are saying now. Now yeah. I'm seven years or something around that time into my journey. And I keep working on my recovery and, and being a better man. And so right. are you. But when you are starting out, you can't see that. You are in the darkness. You are confused, etc. So, what? How do you? How do you? Do you tell someone that there is hope? How do you? How can you start that candle? How can you put that little bit of light into their life? What is your way? What is? If 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 there is another mum there who has just found out my son is doing meth, right? What would you say? Recovery is possible. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's so easy to walk away, to listen to the norm, for to listen to people that say, oh, you should just let her go. There's nothing you can do about it. You have to let her manage. No, I don't believe that, right? You don't, you, you don't stop praying. You don't stop believing. And you recognize that hope means hold on, pain ends, right? If When I talk to people that say, well, I just don't have any hope, I go, okay, do you set your alarm? And then I go, excuse me? And I go, do you set your alarm? Do you set your alarm for work? Or do you make a doctor's appointment a week down the road? And they go, well, yeah. And I go, aren't you hopeful that that day is coming? And so you actually have hope. You just don't recognize it as hope because it's not this big bright thing. It's this distant thing for you. But if you set your alarm for the next day, you've got hope. You just got to feed it. And you got to recognize where it comes from, right? Hope is believing in something that you can't see yet. But if you believe the sun's going to come up and the stars are going to come out, how come you can't believe the same thing for yourself? Mm. That'd, right? be true. That'd be true. You just have to hold on. You just have to walk the walk. Mm. But in order to do so, you actually have to do something really, really, really important. That is what most of us don't do, is to look right. after ourselves first, to draw you know, the boundary and learn that we are there. As an anesthetist for a long time, I've been also covering intensive care units. And uh, when you you talk to relatives and a loved one is smashed up in a road traffic accident or has got some severe medical problem for which they're in the intensive care unit and where we don't know if they will survive or not, then typically there will be a family meeting uh, sooner rather than later because I want them to know all the facts and I want them to hear them from a horse's mouth directly. Um, So I would sit them down and I would discuss what is going on. I would put it in simple language and I would tell them, hey, this is not a sprint now. 
yes, you might not have seen your granddad for I don't know how long, but you now staying awake at the bedside for 72 hours straight, not drinking, not eating, not nothing. Right. Well, that won't help him because he right. needs your help down the line. He needs your help in the long run. And for that, you need to look after yourself. So please go home. We call you if something was to happen. Please now step out, have a breather in the fresh air, go out, have a drink, have some water, have some coffee, um, have some food, and then come back and ask me questions right. and things like that. Yeah. That's what we do when we, that's what I as a doctor recommend patients to do with their loved ones in is intensive care. Nice story. <laughs> Did I mm -hmm. ever look after myself? Right. Even today, even today, I'm struggling. Even today, I was here ready for the interview and I thought yeah. something's missing, something's <laughs> missing. Oh, breakfast, yeah. Oh, food breakfast. is cool, yeah. yeah food, <laughs> that's right, there's that. <laughs> so uh, mm. what do you think is the role of, of looking after yourself when you just have figured out that your kids are straying? Well, like you said, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint you're in it for a minute because they can't get clean for you. They have to get clean for them. If they get clean for you or for the judge or for whoever else, they're not going to get clean. They're going to be a dry drunk waiting for that next moment. No, yeah. They have to get clean because they want their life to be different. And until you make that decision, hmm. there's nothing between that except time. Yeah. And so I tell them, I work with my parents when I work with families, I go, look, you have to take care of you right? God gave you your very own story to write. And if you let her addiction write your story, then she gets to decide how your story ends. You're the author of the story. How do you want your story to end? Write your story. Okay. If you don't take the time to be the best version of you that you can be, then you cheat the world out of all that you could be because it's more selfish for you not to care for yourself than it is for you to take the time to do that. Right. It's, it's mandatory, right? I have my own story to write. And one of the things for me as a parent was to recognize that I had a story to write separate from hers and that she didn't get the power to write my story. She didn't get to, the power to write the story of how her brother and sister's lives were going to turn out. She, she didn't get to pick. The, I got to, we got to choose that. I got to write my own story. And as a parent, it was very difficult for me to change the locks on my doors and, and separate the life that we had in my, my children I was raising from the life that she had chosen over here on the outside because it was dark and she didn't have permission to bring that in my house. And to separate that as a parent was very difficult because I felt like I was, I was putting her out, right? I was moving her away. But at the same time, she knew she could always walk back in my door. And the day before we went to recovery, it's because she climbed in my window. She came into my bedroom at three o'clock in the morning and said, I would rather die than live one more day like this. And I said, then let's go get better. And 48 hours later, we were on the road to getting better. We went and checked her into a beautiful facility. And uh, 14 years later, they still call her twice a year and go, how you doing? Nice. Yeah. Beautiful facility. Nice, nice. And we went as a family they had an option for us to join her in recovery from Thursday through Sunday so we could learn how to bring her home. So we could understand addiction. We could understand recovery. We could understand the nutritional concept of reducing THIQ mm -hmm. in your system so you can manage the addiction. Mm -hmm. So we went. I'm intrigued. So 
how many weeks? She what? was there for 28 days. Yep, same here. And she that's she a, was there for 28 days. And we went four weekends. We went through, I checked her in on a Monday and we went four weekends in a row. The last weekend being her graduation, correct? her, her, her walking out of recovery. But we had an option to go every weekend and spend Thursday through Sunday, go to family therapy, go to classes so we could understand how to bring her home. We, she was the only thing that was going to be different. She was coming home to the same house, same environment, same friends, same ghosts, same phone numbers. None of that changed. Just her. Cool. How many inmates? How big was Excuse that? How, how many inmates? How, how big was uh, the, uh, the institution? It, it, was a, it, it was a big, beautiful ranch house out in the uh -huh. middle of the country, outside of Lubbock, Texas. And they had 15 women in 15 minutes at a time. Perfect. Okay. I'm, I'm amazed that they had this, uh, this focus on family, which is so beautiful. Yeah. I went to a superb, yeah. superb, superb place, the old Capri Hospital here in, in, in uh, Auckland. And it, about same size, about same setup. And they had a, a family evening on a Wednesday. So, and they were two hours of, of talks, etc., to bring the family in. So the same thing. But my family was not removed. I can't say that. They were they were still nose on the grindstone. They were still worrying about the money, all the school grades, all those things that are so important in daily life. Whilst daddy was in this four weeks, 28 days away. And then daddy came home. And he thought there will be fanfaris and and uh, ticker tape, ticker parade. Mm, right. um, uh, there was nothing. There was nothing. Yeah. And yeah. because they thought, oh well, we don't know if it works. And you know, yes, he like, has been away, but how often has he said he will change? How often has he said he will stop drinking? How often has yeah. he lied to us? And yeah. there was there was very much that. So uh, it is hard to say. There is we didn't have this possibility for the kids and for my wife to get that intensive training mm -hmm. at that time. I actually imparted so many lessons thereafter with my children and with my wife. So they now know all the trips and the tricks that I have learned and yeah. but that is down the line. So it's, it, it strikes me really beautiful that the family focus that this particular ranch, this particular place had, because that's really it. As you say, addiction yeah. is, a, is a family disease. It, it is. is a disease that affects everyone. And mm -hmm. in all fairness, it takes two to tango or three or four or five in this case, um, right. because there is always, there are always some roles that we as parents or as loved ones play right. too. Absolutely. Even though I wasn't responsible for her addiction, the, we all play a part in it, whether it was my enabling it, whether it was my not recognizing the signs, mm. so many different things as a parent that I played into it. Mm. Like you said, I found myself becoming addicted to that behavior. And then again, I find out we were actually addicted to her addiction. Mm. What would we do with our time? Right. And so when I work with families, when we're, we're blocking the process of recovery, I try to teach families that we have to be careful. Because sometimes we can be their biggest barrier to recovery because we know the old behavior. And we know, I know the fear that when she says, hey, I'm going to go to the store, that could mean so many different things over the last five years, right? You might go to the store and I might not see you for four weeks. So what does that really mean? 
Mm. So learning to get past that and let her become this new person on the other side, let her become this person of honesty and of integrity. And, and because she understands that in a very different way now than she did before. And so to let her become and learn to love her, this new person that she was going to be, instead of staying mad at this old person that she was, oh, yeah. was a, it was a challenge. <laughs> and so I teach families, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to love this brand new person that you were going to let her become because it's easy. We know how to do this. As shitty as that might have been, we're good at it at this point. We know how to do that. Yeah. We don't know how to do this. This is new. And we're always afraid of new things. Ooh, nice. Nice, nice, nice. Because that's actually very, very true. And it will not change. It will not change for a very long time. Uh, mm. Parents who are listening to that, who are many years down the line, there will still these thoughts be creeping in. Like oh, yeah. Friday, I was coming uh, from work straight to, to a solicitor to meet my wife there to sign some papers. So um, she looked at me a bit funny. We did the signing, and so and then outside she came close, gave me a kiss, but in a funny old way that I recognized. She was sniffing my breath, and mm -hmm. I had a drink. I mm -hmm. haven't had a drink for uh, many, 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 many days, uh, as in 2,412. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yet here that old behavior from her came through. Right. She was just that... Now, luckily enough, we have got that honesty amongst us now that, right. that she can do that without me getting upset, without right. her getting upset. But it was just intriguing that yeah. so many thousand days later, still, it comes still. out, the doubt. The it's, it, just those moments, yeah. you know, absolutely, just those moments. And then I learned, then I became this hawk watching my other two children, right? <laughs> <laughs> What was that? What was that behavior? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I just I have a bad day. No, no, come on. Oh. Show me. Show me your arms. No, exactly right. <laughs> see your nose. Exactly. Total, total Nazi mom for the next two days. I'm looking for little pieces of foil and cotton, right? Everything I can think of. All the things that we do. So it took a while for us to get used to it. So I'm so joyful now that we can laugh about it, right? Because for so long, it wasn't funny. I know. And I didn't want to talk about it, right? And I, I was embarrassed and I didn't want to go to NA and I didn't want to go to AA and I didn't want to go to Al-Anon because I didn't want anybody to believe anybody to believe that was our problem. But when I finally did, the relief that came over my body, the weight that left my shoulders, the light that came into my life, mm. phenomenal. Mm. But exactly. I had to let it in. I had to let it in. And it was hard. But that then again, new, uh, a small place in New Mexico, a small place in, in Texas, uh, these Al-Anon meetings, they don't grow on trees. So how easy was it get, uh, for you to, to get access to support? It was harder. It was much harder here in New Mexico than it was in Texas. In Texas, they got NA and ANA meetings everywhere. And there's a huge encouragement and a great energy around recovery in the state of Texas. They are oh, very beautiful. supportive. Yeah, there's a good energy underneath it. In New Mexico, most of the people that we found in NA meetings were there because the judge said they had to come four times a week. They were not there because they wanted to be there. They were there because they were required to be there. So the, the energy was very different. So for her to come home from that place of this just joyful recovery to back here where it was somber was, was hard for her to find that same, keep that fire going, right? So... We spent lots of time talking about things like the mountaintop. And I'm like, baby girl, let's talk about the mountaintop. It's great to be there. Nothing feels better than to be on top of the mountain. 
But let's look at it. What grows there? If you're on the very top of the mountain, what grows on the mountain? She's like, what do you mean? I said, what grows on top of the mountain? She said, well, nothing. There's no air. And I said, that's exactly right. As beautiful as it is, and as much as you can see, you can't sustain here. It's impossible. You got to go back down the mountain, girl. Go to the valley, pick up all those good things, and then take them back up the mountain with you. <laughs> but you can't stay there, right? You, you got to walk the journey. So we've had a we've had a pretty amazing relationship through it. So. It's neat. And she's also a coach now. She coaches people through recovery. She's a, a wonderful support coach. She's a stay-at-home mom. She has a, a beautiful coffee business for, for moms and stay-at-home moms that want to do something. She's a, she's a beautiful human being. Um, yeah, all my kids have turned out fabulous. It was a, it was a great experience for all of us. But uh, there's a lot of moms out there that felt like I did. And that's why I started this job, because I couldn't be the only mom that felt that way. And if I could bring hope to just one mom, or to one person wanting to know if recovery was real, hmm. I'll hold your hand the whole way. Let's go. Should, yeah. Because it's real. Yeah. And I think you and I talked one time. If I had 25 employees, I believe one of the questions on my application is, have you been through recovery? Because I would hire them because of that integrity that exactly. they form on exactly. that side. Exactly. And having said that, having said that, if a good recovery, we need to, to qualify that a little bit uh, because there are so many different different settings out there. Um, my steps of sobriety, I wrote about rehabs and recoveries and there is, uh, there's a chapter in there where I try to look at the, the ideal recovery, uh, the ideal rehab, uh, what it is. And when I actually researched that chapter, I had to figure out how widespread the the quality quantity everything is of rehab mm -hmm. so you can't yeah. compare one with the other it's often not just apples and oranges it's bloody vegetables and fruit as this different apart it is so it is. therefore we need to to accept it and also the oh there's so many aspects so the bottom line is there is hope out there i could not agree more so look at the two of us. Here we are. We are passionate about our mission. We are passionate about sharing this optimism that is truly, truly felt every single day. There is this gratitude in us, this, this appreciation of life that is so wonderful and that makes us such productive beings now. So if the same is true for another addict who has been living the same life and the same progress, Wow, this, you can't get a better asset for your business, full stop. Right. right. However, we need to say that in your first year of recovery after alcohol, there's an 80% relapse rate. Right. With meth, I'm not aware of the exact figures. I can't actually tell you. How, the the you meth know? relapse rate is pretty high. Yeah. Um, uh, it's pretty high because they don't, because there's not enough education about the process of methamphetamine recovery. Yeah. Okay. So in a quick nutshell, the very first time you take a hit of methamphetamine, it cauterizes the dopamine receptors in your brain. Okay. If that's the only time in your life you ever do a hit is that one time, it will take 14 months from that day for the scar tissue to dissipate enough for your brain to again, produce dopamine on its own. Wow. Okay. Wow. And dopamine is that good food, good sex, roller coaster, feel good hormone, right? Mm -hmm. And so as you walk through recovery, you know, the first 90 days, 
once you begin to manage the THIQ levels in your system and your chemical system begins to level out, then your body begins to absorb vitamins again. And so you finally start to get better and you get healthy and you gain a little weight and you're feeling good and life's good. And then you hit this wall of depression at about 90 days. That's just this brick wall. And that's your recognition that you feel good, but you, those things that made you happy, even though they still make you happy, there's no expressed joy. You're physically incapable of that emotion. And so you think, what's wrong with me? Have I completely torn up my brain? Did I ruin myself inside? Am I just this dark person now? And so they hit this wall of depression. And if you don't recognize that that's coming and, and, help, and walk through that 90 days, get to that next 90 days, because at six months, it looks way different than it does at 90 days. Mm. Right? Exactly. But you're still, and at that point, you're still eight months from your body producing dopamine again. Absolutely. Okay? But God put these amazing things on our planet to help with that, like holy basil, dopamine. There are some beautiful herbs that are the natural replacement for those things in your system. And so as you get healthy and your body begins to absorb them, you can put holy basil. You can put 10,000 IEs of vitamin D. You can do dopamine and to, to replace and help replenish that dopamine system in your system just because you begin to feel better. And then you think, okay, I, I can do this. Because how you feel physically is a big part of recovery. If you can't get that physical part, right? So true. With the understanding that we recover from lots of things. Substance abuse is the first thing we think of when we hear recovery. Mm -hmm. But we recover from grief. We recover from all kinds of things put us in that place where you just look up and go, man, I just got to get better. Mm -hmm. And that's where recovery starts. So to, to own recovery, to just being about drugs and alcohol leaves a whole lot of people not getting better. So let's open that up and go. There's lots of things we need to recover from. Absolutely. Grief, sadness, mm-hmm. the disappointment that you have because your child is not living out the dreams you had for them. Exactly. And let's be clear about that. These are the most potent drivers for addiction. It's the, the, the emotions, the negative emotions, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, the depression, the PTSD, the anxiety, these right. nasty, nasty things that are festering like pus in our bodies. And they are, they, you need to look at them. You can't just say, okay, you have been using, you're bad, stop using. Come on, right. you should know better. Uh, you're great. If you don't do anything about the reasons why this person has been using, well, wow, what do you think your chances are to actually get there? So that's number one. Number two is, yes, he has been using or she has been using, and they have been using because that was the only thing that was relieving the pain. So you now take that away and don't replace it with anything. Well, duh. What do you think will happen? Exactly. And either that is a relapse into the same addiction or a cross addiction into something completely new. This could be another cross chemical addiction to sugar that someone balloons in weight. Hmm? Right. To Um, shopping. I mean, addiction is addiction, whether it's shopping or heroin, the process is the same. Exactly. And so therefore you need to to work on the causes, no doubt about that. Then you need to replace the addiction with something that is incredibly beautiful and incredibly healthy and incredibly gorgeous. But to, to, that is something that each and every person needs to find out what that is. And it is hard. I mean, how did your daughter find out what makes her tick? Um, self-discovery. 
right. time, that beautiful exactly. recovery program. I mean, the first thing they did the first week is they gave her a canvas and said, paint your addiction for me. Oh, wow. And so she painted this picture of her addiction. And then at the end of four weeks, they said, now paint your recovery. And she has both of those pictures hanging in her house side by side. And so, <laughs> you know, I think that the, I think that the, the, the crux of it is things like replacement behavior, right? If you used to get high at three o'clock in the afternoon, go to art instead. You have to, you have to find something to do in that moment instead, right? It's, it's the nutritional part. It's the vitamin part. It's owning the anxiety, the depression, the PTSD, all the things that come along with the experience they had through that. Oh, exactly. Yeah. No, it's so true. So true. It's beautiful to, it's beautiful to hear you talking so passionate about the things that I'm, I'm saying that I'm strongly believing in. And it just re reconfirms for me that actually uh, there is a way out because there's always doubt. There's always doubt. There's always this little, always mm, no, 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 no. Maybe what you wrote there, oh, is that really... Mm. No, no, it is, there is right. hope out there. There's hope for all of us. We just need to, to accept that. We need to accept right. that we are in trouble. And then we need to accept right. that there is actually hope out there. And if there is someone... I think so. Oh, true, true. If there's someone up there to, who is looking after us, you may believe it or not. It doesn't matter. Right. Uh, what you need to realize is that, that there is a damn good chance that the person you really love and who you now observe self-destructing, uh, self that this person can find love again, find self-love, that this person can, can be proud again. Whilst right now there's this empty shell that is burning up in pain and, 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 and oh, torturing, torturing he, herself, himself. Right. This can change. And it will change, it change with a good recovery program, with a good rehab program, and yep. with with someone out there who can help this young person. Mm -hmm. But equally, there needs to be someone who is helping you, listener, viewer, you, because there's a damn good reason that you are watching this this video today. There is there is something in your life. There is something going on that made you switch on today. And so you need to know that the way forward is by putting a team together where you are the dumbest member, okay? So this team needs to be people who have been in your shoes and who came out the other side and learned a heap of a lot of lessons from that. And I think there could be far worse people than a certain <laughs> Stacey Johnston here who actually has done exactly that. <laughs> so Stacey, tell me, uh, if people, if you gel with them, if you resonate with them and they want to get hold of you, how can they do that? Well, you know, we're always on Facebook, so you can always find me on Facebook at Stacey Johnston. You are welcome to email me. I am enlightenup at stacyjohnston.com. I'm sorry. I am enlightenup.stacyj at gmail.com. I have just got a new computer and bought into a new program, so I have a new website coming, but it is not out yet. As soon as it's up, <laughs> I'll give it to you so you can post. Perfect. Perfect. But you are always welcome to reach out to me in any way. And if That's you need right. to reach out to me through Stefan, please do.
Absolutely. I would be delighted to pass any messages on. And guys, don't write things down down there in the link. Uh, you will find the links in the description of the podcast and the video. Stacey, thank you so much for sharing your message and for being so honest. Because as a parent of, of a daughter who has been a meth addict, the last thing you normally would do is actually say, hey, my daughter's a meth addict. Yeah, don't look. Don't look. Yeah, yeah. We She's survived dull. it. <laughs> That's the last thing you want to do. It goes against every instinct. But there right. is a damn good reason that Stacy is doing what she is doing because she has seen the power of connection. She has seen the power of honesty, transparency, authenticity, of living a life that includes all the scars, no filter, no mask, yeah. no nothing. Actually, let's be honest about it, about the addiction, because addiction is actually nearly normal. One yeah. in three, one in three people will have a chemical addiction in their life. One in three. Again. More common than we know. Exactly. So don't look down on, on, on these track users. If I take a, a, a spotlight on you, Ah, trust me, I'm going to find something. Um, right. So you guys, listen up. There is hope out there. And Stacy is there, so don't mess around. If, if you have a doubt, then just send up an email. And, and if you want to yeah. talk, that might be a way to go, eh? Hey, that will be a way to go, right? <laughs> I actually have a Calendly that I need one more step to get it set up. So again, I will make sure you hey. have that connection. They can book hey. a 20 minute with me. If anybody wants to talk about recovery, I'll give away a 20 if they want to talk about it. So I'll make sure you have that information. <laughs> Stacey, thank you so much for coming onto my show today. Uh, so it, was, it was a very humbling and beautiful, beautiful discussion and interview. Uh, I'm honored. So thank you so much. Thank you. The honor is mutual. You have a beautiful day, my friend. <laughs> and you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. <laughs>